Well, good morning. If uh, you have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. That's where we'll be this morning, um, but the text that Raj alluded to, I want to go to uh, again as a backdrop, and I'll be doing this in the weeks to come just to remind us of but Hebrews 11. So we're going to go to Genesis 6 for this morning's text, but I just want to read, so you don't even have to turn there if you don't want, but Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to read verses... 6 and 7. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, He condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And Genesis chapter 6, verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten, and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Let me pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. I thank you for the grace that has been ours in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I I pray and ask for your blessing as we seek to understand your precious word. Father, once again, I recognize my great dependency upon you for this to come out clear. So, Father, please help me. And I pray you'd help all of us as we seek to understand your word, that it would touch our hearts and truly affect us and change us in our lives as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. There's power in a promise kept. Have you ever broken a promise? This is not where you show your hands. You probably have, I have, I've broken a lot of promises in my life. Have you ever received a promise broken, where somebody promised something to you, and they dropped you and let you down? And the sting of that, when you had high hopes that perhaps this would would work. This person is a person of their word, and they made this promise, and I am fully expecting it to come through. And then you hear the bad news, sometimes not even of their own doing. They just weren't capable of accomplishing that which they thought they could accomplish, and you're told, no, I'm sorry. I know, I know I promised, but I can't, and so I have to break this promise to you. It hurts deeply at times 
to break a promise with another person or to have another person break a promise with you. At the same time, I have been the recipient of people who have kept their promises and it has profoundly affected me, deeply touched my heart when someone has said, no, I promised you and I'm going through with the promise. I told you I'd do it and I'm going to do it. And then when they do it, you see everything come across, and, it, and it, there's power in that. This morning, we see this agreement made between the Lord and Noah. The first time in your Bible you see the word covenant used. Before we kind of jump into the text, there's a theme in the Bible that at times I wonder if we take for granted or, or simply it just passes us by because it is so incredibly prevalent. It's something that we hear all the time. We would say it. We would sing it. We do sing it. We, we pray it. We, we preach it. We talk about it. It's in our songs, our poetry, our Bibles. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Not mine, not man's, but God's faithfulness. I think is a theme that goes from Genesis clean to Revelation and at times, beloved, can become so part of the furniture of our life, we forget about his faithfulness. How often do you find yourself thanking God during the day? And I'm not saying you don't or you do. I want you to ask yourself that. How often do you find yourself thanking him? Um, Perhaps at every meal perhaps at every walk, perhaps at every encounter with another person, with a saved person, with an unsaved person. God, thank you. God, thank you. When was the last time, and this is just for us to think about, did you wake up and say, Lord, thank you that I'm alive, you're here, and your promises are here when I awoke, and you've been faithful to them? See, what's sticky about promises between us, is I don't trust you. And you shouldn't trust me. Don't take that too far. Because I fail. I have failed you. I've been pastoring here nine years and three or four months, and in that nine years and three or four months, I have dropped you like a rock in many different ways. I have failed you in lots of ways as your pastor. You've failed me. I have a, a real long list at my house. No, I'm just kidding. It's like, Roger's name's everywhere. You, no, I'm just kidding. Um, what keeps us, what satisfies us, what protects us is when somebody has proven they've never broken a promise. They have always kept their promise, and they are a person of their word. What is tricky about all of that is when a promise is made and you will suffer while you wait for the fulfillment of that promise. I promise this will go well. I promise in the end, this will come out good. You're going to be in pain during the time while you wait, but I promise in the end, it's all going to be worth it. That's hard for us to believe. It's hard for us to say, Ah, man, you know, if everything was easy and there was a promise lingering, maybe. But if I have to suffer while I wait for this promise to come to fruition, 
I don't know how I'll hold up. I don't know. Well, here we are with this man Noah. This man who didn't wait a week or two weeks or three weeks or four weeks, but most commentators, as they piece it all together, come up with around probably a hundred years of waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. And he wasn't sitting uh, crocheting that whole time or playing golf. He was laboring hard in the midst of a perverse and nasty world. Look with me, if you would, guys, at chapter 6. Look at verse 9 just to give us a little flavor of the world Noah is living in. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah, was, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence, and God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth to... For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. This is not simply a a kind, calm housing development with a beautiful cul-de-sac where Noah and his family can reside for that hundred years. There is a lot of sin. It is rampant. The corruption all around him is terrible And God has officially come to him and made a covenant with him. I want to begin by looking first and foremost at the originator of the covenant. My first point is the originator of the covenant, and it is not Noah. Look at the text, if you would. Tom, would you do me a favor? Would you mind pulling those down? Just distracting a little bit. Thanks, brother. The originator of the covenant, if you look at verse 18, God says, but I will. I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark. Almighty God is the beginner of this covenant, the originator of this covenant, the one who starts this. Let me read this really quick. This is a verbatim quote from a pocket theological dictionary that I use quite often, in reference to what is a covenant. God freely establishing a mutually binding relationship with humankind. Through the covenant, God bestows blessings on humans in conditional and unconditional terms. That's a a key point. Now, I'm not going to rush and look at all covenants of the Old Testament. We'll see much of that as we walk through the book of Genesis, and I'll touch on it more. But for now, a mutually binding relationship that God is making with humankind, and within that covenant, you will see conditional and unconditional um, um, terms in reference to that covenant. Much like the, the covenant that I made with my bride 15 years ago this September, where we stood in front of, no joke, over 500 people we just went and found all the transients in Spokane downtown and brought them into the church. You know, free cake. And so they all came uh, for pictures. And I stood before all those people, friends and family, the Lord and my bride. And I took a covenant. I stepped into a covenant. I wear a sign of that covenant on my hand all the time. 
Much like that, where two parties come into a covenant together with two different things that they are called to do. But beloved, there's something here that has to be seen and cannot be missed biblically, and that is Noah did not pursue God in a covenant. God pursued Noah in a covenant. Almighty God is sovereign and chose to make this covenant with Noah. Noah did not tickle God's fancy by being righteous without God. Noah was righteous by faith. Don't ever, don't ever buy into the lie that God looked over the, wor- or the whole world and said, well, Noah's finally got it right. Everybody else before him got it wrong, but he got it right. Well, except for Enoch, he got it right too. Beloved, nobody is righteous before God by works. They're righteous before God by faith. It is impossible to please him apart from faith. Notice that verse is right there by Noah in Hebrews chapter 11. That's that's on purpose. And as he is righteous by faith, we're also told he walks blamelessly. And this is where Noah is a man who walks blamelessly in his generation. This is the fruit of his faith working out in his life. But God doesn't owe Noah a covenant. God doesn't owe him anything but wrath. This is a covenant of grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God sovereignly chose to make this covenant with Noah. Here's a principle, key thought. You'll find this throughout the scripture. God seeks the sinner. God seeks the sinner. Remember, it says that he he came to seek and to save that which was lost. As the sovereign king of the universe comes to this earth, he pursues man. And so it doesn't say one day Noah said, God, what do you think about a covenant? Rather, Almighty God, the king, says not what do you think, Noah, but says, I will establish my covenant with you. I I am overwhelmed at times to consider the grace of God allowing himself to be known. I know some of you well, and some of you know me quite well. Not because you pursued me, but because I allowed you to know me. And not necessarily because I pursued you, but you allowed yourself to be known. When we're known by another person, it's because you've been allowed to be known. You have let somebody in on who you are. If you just walk around the world, if you walk through Bymart and you ask somebody a very, very personal question, it's not going to go well. Um, <laughs> I've got so many for instances, but I won't, I won't go near those. But when you're sitting over a cup of coffee with somebody you've enjoyed friendship with for two or three years and you ask them that same personal question, they're quick to let themselves be known. But you wouldn't know it unless they decided to let you know them. Beloved, it's no different than with our God. He has graciously decided to let you know him. Almighty God, the sovereign king of the universe has said, I will let you know me. To the point, I prayed to him this morning. I spoke with God this morning through the Lord Jesus Christ. I spoke to him from this very pulpit this morning. Don't let that ever get get stale. Don't let it ever get stale that God went to Noah and said, I will establish my covenant with you. Don't ever let it get stale that the sovereign king of the universe is present in your life and active. That when you pray, you don't go, I wonder if he heard. No, you know he heard you. 
It is mind-boggling to think of the king of the universe to seek out Dan Mason in grace and love. But here's the fascinating part about God. God decides when and how he will be revealed. I think John Herleman, years ago in a men's Bible study, said, so how do we approach God, or approach the Holy Spirit, approach God? The answer was, whatever way he says. (laughs) Which was great. And I believe that that's absolutely the truth. You and I don't say, well, God, I know you want me to come in this way, but I don't want to. I want to come this way. Well, it worked out really well for Cain. Not so much. Please notice that God does not ask Noah how he would like the covenant to work out. He does not ask Noah, in what way do you want to be a covenant partner with me? Do you want to write your own vows, Noah? No. God informs him, this is the covenant I'm making with you, and here's what you need to do, Noah. Ready? Listen up, get a pen, submit, and surrender to the covenant that I'm making with you. Because I draw up the plans. And man, what a set of, set of plans. This is an act of incredible mercy and grace on behalf of the sovereign God to do this in the life of this man. Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and the new covenant. As you walk through these covenants that Almighty God makes, God is the one who establishes the covenant, He makes the rules of the covenant. And he's the one who is faithful to the covenant. Second part, the recipients of the covenant. If you look at verse 18, chapter 6, verse 18, it says, but I will establish my covenant with you, namely Noah. And you shall come into the ark, and Noah will bring his, his sons and his wife and his son's wife with him. Now, the covenant of Noah is, is tricky because... We hear the establishment of the covenant here, but then in chapter 9, more is, tell, is told us about the covenant. And um, I won't go there for now. I'll go there in the coming weeks. But chapter 9 really tells us about more of this covenant God makes with Noah and the sons of Noah and the wives of Noah and his sons in reference to this covenant of repopulating the earth once again. Right now, this first part, and and different people, they're a little different on this. Some folks would say there's multiple covenants. Some people would say there's one great big Davidic or Noahic covenant with different pieces. I'm not too hung up on in either one of those. I just think that as he is covenanting with Noah, he's giving him different bits and pieces of what he's going to be doing in walking in obedience to God's covenant. Namely, in chapter 6, verse 18, Uh, throughout the rest of this passage, Noah and his family will be building an ark. And they'll be gathering animals. And they'll be going into the ark. And the rest of the world will be destroyed while they're in the ark. And then after that's done, they will destroy the ark and use it for wood for a burnt offering before the Lord. And then the Lord will come to them again, just as he did earlier in creation. And he will say, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue the earth. The only catch, if you notice, please turn with me here, beloved, because I do want you to, to catch this. Uh, verse, or chapter 8 in Genesis, verse 21. Genesis 8, 21. This is post-flood, 
and we'll be here in a couple weeks, but I just want you to catch it, to have it in the back of your mind. And verse 21, and when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is glorious and righteous and obedient in every way. No. Which, by the way, this is proof that Noah was still a sinful man who was redeemed. Because from him and from his children would still come evil. No, he says, the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The point I'm making is that even in the destruction of everything and even in this covenant with Noah and in how you think, man, a fresh start. Beloved, it's still not a fresh start. Don't, don't chase that rabbit down the hole in the sense where you go, well, now maybe we'll get it right. You know, Adam messed up. But Noah's got this one. Might I remind you that there's actually a game plan leading up to God in the flesh to die on the cross? That's actually the glory of the redemption story, not, not part two of creation of fallen man. God has a far grander, more glorious plan here. But this covenant he makes with Noah and with the family and the saving of them is a part of this entire plan moving us forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. Though God seems to make this initial covenant with Noah and his wife, sons, and daughter, daughters-in-law, and his, uh, this is just amazing. God seems to convert the, uh, Noah prior to. And this is important. This covenant he makes with Noah is not necessarily, and this is a strange word, but a salvific covenant, spiritually speaking. Reason I say that, Noah's already declared righteous. Before he is ever told to build the ark or anything like that, Noah's declared as righteous and one who walks blamelessly. Now, it's a salvific covenant in the sense that it will save them physically and they will walk in faith and obedience to God's word. But if Noah were to die, he won't go to heaven or hell based on the fact whether or not he built the ark. He's already righteous by faith. That's important, beloved, because unfortunately, sometimes people will say, Old Testament saints were made righteous by their works and obedience to the law. New Testament saints made righteous in Jesus, which is bad. That's bad. Has nothing to do with the word, has nothing to do with the Old Testament. Nobody is justified apart from faith, Hebrews 11 says, which is glorious because he uses all the Old Testament saints to point back to that. Okay, so let me move a little, little further. What are the details of the covenant? So we see the, the originator of the covenant. In other words, this is from the sovereign heart of God opening up this covenant. The recipients of it, um, Noah and his family, will all be uh, saved and protected. What is the, are the details of the covenant? Build a boat and bring animals onto the boat. And God will, sur- will cause you to survive and persevere on the ark while I destroy everybody. Now, <clears throat> it's fascinating to see this and ask the question, 
So God does his part, Noah does his part. Then we kind of want to say, that's how it works, right? You scratch God's back, he'll scratch yours. Make God happy, he'll make sure you're taken care of. So we just work with him that way. Too shallow, because I would simply ask the question, who's enabling Noah to breathe while he builds the ark? Where did Noah get the trees to build the ark? Where'd Noah get the righteousness? Where'd Noah get the desire? Where'd Noah, I could say, where'd Noah get for the rest of the morning? But you get where I'm coming from. Noah is not doing his part to make sure God's happy. Noah is 100% dependent upon God to hold up his part of the covenant bargain. <clears throat> this is huge. Absolutely huge, biblically speaking. Because God never intended for us to meet him halfway, so that way we're co-redeemers. He's the full redeemer. So when, when Noah is all done, Noah doesn't go, man, did I do a job and a half on that boat. No, what does he do? He gives a burnt offering before the king. Beloved, there's a principle there that if, if I were to skip by it, I think I would be doing injustice to you as your pastor. And that is, let him who glories glory in the Lord. And that's not some wishful thinking idea. That is because God deserves all the glory. You don't. I don't. I don't deserve it. The only reason I have anything in me in passion and love for him is because of his grace at work in me. And the same for Noah. And if you were to ask Noah, I think he would answer the exact same way. Now, the reason I say that, I, I, I have to set the stage a little bit, you guys, because <clears throat> as we read this, Noah is a pretty stellar guy. He really is. When you read about all that he does, how he walks so strong and obedient to the Lord, there, there's a natural tendency, I'll just confess, even in my reading and study of the text this week, I was reading it going, this guy is awesome. Oh, no, this guy's God is awesome. Noah would be the first one to correct me and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't, don't give me that credit. Nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh, the Apostle Paul says. Rather, it is Almighty God's work in me. And so I have to set that stage because the work done by Noah, his physical hands, his mind, his heart, is profound and quite staggering. And so let's look at this. I want you to think this carefully with me, if you would. Potential deterrence from obedience. This isn't in the text. But it is in my mind, and I think it's between the ink, which I'm not trying to go off the page of the Bible, but just think about this with me. What are some potential deterrents from obedience to the Lord in the midst of this covenant relationship that he has with Almighty God? Number one, no sign of a flood. I mean, God, could it, could it mist? <laughs> could, it, could it rain just a bit? Could it do something so I can have some... Sight, not just faith, but no sign of a flood. 
an incredible amount of time, as I said earlier, a hundred years of, of preparing this ark, working. Now remember, no steel chainsaws, no trucks, no cranes. I don't know what kind of ingenuity they may have had in their design of it. I, I don't, these certainly aren't imbeciles. I believe there's great wisdom and brilliance in the minds of these folks at this time. So I don't know how they would have designed it to piece it together. But the things that we have in our world for building massive structures, Noah would faint if he saw what we use. Or he'd just call us wimps. How many logs had to be dropped? How many had to be skinned? How many had to be plain, just right? How much time and effort? How much sweat? How many splinters? How much blood by a slip of the hammer? How many different points where Noah could have said, oh, I cannot believe I'm doing this. How many opportunities within that time frame, in the midst of a world flooded with mockery and sin and sexual sin and violence, and he is the imbecile of the entire county as he sits over there building that boat. Grave sin all around him, and let me add this please, his own flesh. I don't know about you guys. Sin bothers me. The sin of others bothers me. But the greatest sinner that I am constantly at battle with is the guy in the mirror. Because of my own sinful heart, my own, my own lusts, my own want, my own temptations. And for a hundred years now, I want you to walk in complete obedience without a sign of me necessarily fulfilling my end of the bargain while the world looks at you as a complete fool. Remember, only eight are going to be saved. How, how, how are you doing being held and carried by the promises of God. Chew on that a bit. I'm coming back to it at the end. The mockery of a lost and sinful world. And this is where it, I imagine, would get very difficult. We're told in, in um, Second Peter, Noah was a herald of righteousness, a preacher of righteousness. So he, he's bivocational, if you will. He's He's an ark builder professionally, but he's also preaching on the side. He's heralding the good news of righteousness, the message. And as he's giving his life and time over to this task and heralding this message, apparently nobody has any care for what he has to say except my guess, and I'm presupposing this, mocking and slandering of him during that entire time. It'd be like watering your lawn here in February or March. Now, if so, any of you right now are saying, well, I do that, just <laughs> stop right there. Uh, during the flood season, if you will, in Pacific City, and you see somebody constantly draining their water and using up their water bill over and over and over, saying, I just got to get it wet, I got to get it wet. Dude, it's pouring rain. You'd say, this guy's crazy. Well, what if you went to a man with not a drop of rain? He's like, well, I'm building a boat. Why? Well, the flood, <laughs> of course. Eventually, in the sinful heart, irony, sarcasm, 
downright rude slander, putting this man down this whole time. Who knows what kind of threats he may have received? I don't know, but beloved, do you see the deterrence in this man's life to say, oh, forget it, would be so great. Not only that, but the overwhelming size of the project. Guys, the size of this ark, I know the, the ark encounter, I've not visited it there in um, Kentucky, I think it is. But I've watched videos of it and seen the size of it, and they tried to do it to scale to the best they could. And, and to think of taking a man without any of these power tools and cranes and all the stuff we have and saying, I want you to build it. Go fall some trees, get to work, and as you build it, once it's built, I want all these animals brought onto the ark while I flood the world. And not only that, but I need you to go store up a massive amount of food. Get out and start harvesting, Noah. Get your family involved. Get to work. So I want a ton of food to feed you and all the animals. I want all the animals on the boat, and I want you to build the structure of that boat. And I want you to cover the entire thing with pitch. Smother that thing in pitch so that way it'll be okay and be buoyant. Remember, this... This thing's not built for speed. This thing is built for buoyancy and for protection from the water. Now, Noah, that's your end of the covenant. Go get him. The word devastating is what has come to my mind in my study this week, to think of the project laid at the feet of this man. And God says, I promise, I promise you, Noah, It will all make sense once you're done. What is the biblical perspective of Noah? He's a righteous man. He's blameless. He's faithful. He's obedient. And he's a declarer of truth. Noah was kept by faith in God's promise. Even in the midst of some of the most crazy circumstances. God's voice was the loudest voice in Noah's ears. God's voice was the loudest voice in Noah's ears. And so I want to draw this to an application. But first, look at the text with me and just hear how God lays this out. Verse 18 of of chapter 6, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Now, there's a massive argument there, and especially in our culture, male and female. All I'm going to say is read read the copy of the word in your lap, And you will come away saying, male and female was God's design from the very beginning, and that's how procreation works. This is all the design of God, and the world is going crazy. I'm not saying that to be harsh. I'm saying that because I believe it's the absolute truth. Verse 20, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. We got our first prepper right here. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Now, I have to confess, as not really an animal guy, 
put yourself there, okay? I believe this is literal history. I believe this actually happened. Consider the smell. I don't know if you know this. When animals eat, they digest. All that's involved. We read it and we, and we picture the flannel graph, but step back for a second, put yourself into sandals, real life, and think of all of the logistics involved. You ever gone camping um, or, or you've taken a motorhome somewhere and you go, oh, okay, so you go in the motorhome, so you sleep in that bed. That's great. Well, you don't have a clue about all the logistics involved to make this work. And so for Noah, the devastation of all the logistics, Noah, do it. Do it. And when it's done, I promise you, I promise you, it all makes sense. The promise, and this was the quote, this was the food from my soul this week. It's one simple quote, but it just grabbed my heart. Kent Hughes is a pastor. He he lives in Spokane, Washington now. He's a pastor for many years, has one of my favorite commentary sets, and he's one of my favorite people. Never met him. I hope to catch up with him in Spokane someday, but this was his quote. The promise of God's word is the sustenance of his people. The promise of God's word is the sustenance of his people. What's sustaining you? What are you hoping in? Where, what's keeping you going? As I think carefully about this man Noah, and I, I look at this and go, man, what kept this guy from, from quitting? I just think in my own flesh, I'd be like, God, there's no way. This is impossible. There's no way. Faith in God's promise sustained him. I don't see anything else. I don't don't see where Noah said, well, I'm, I'm healthy and strong, let's go. You think he ever had a cold during the building of the ark? Had a tummy ache during the building of the ark? Struggling, frustrated, Cuts himself and he's got a wound. Oh, help, help, somebody, you gotta get this fixed. I gotta get, I gotta get this wound fixed. We gotta get back to the ark. And yet he was sustained. And you say, what kept this man? The promise. The promise of a God who he had no reason to question in any way, shape, or form. Ever. Now, beloved, let me draw it directly to you and to I. That God is the exact same God whose promises I pray and hope you're banking on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes on Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. He who testifies to this says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Guys, God has never once 
ever given us a reason to question his faithfulness to his promises. And if Noah for a hundred years with sweat and toil and discouragement potentially and the mockery of his name clung to the promise of the, God, of the living God, we really have very little to whine about in our lives as Christians. Because as I began this, it's not that big a deal to look and hold carefully to a promise when you have no suffering as you follow the promise. But when you are in pain, awaiting the fulfillment of the promise, I really believe that's where God starts to stretch and grow the faith of his people. And we're told in God's word that the genuineness of our faith is more precious than gold. Not just faith, but the genuineness, which I think can progress, which grows. We get stronger in our faith, and God says the greater your faith, it's more precious than gold. You could be a billionaire in this room with no faith, and God says you're a pauper, according to the value system of the living God. And you could have two pennies rubbing together with absolute, complete trust in his promises, and the Lord says you are so wealthy. His value system looks so different than ours. So as you think this week about Noah, my prayer is that the covenant made with Noah and the faithfulness of God to his promise to this man would then trigger your brain to the promises of God he has made to you and that the promises of God would be the sustenance of his people. He would sustain us, guys. He would sustain us in the midst of a dark, lost, perverse world that the living God has promised, the one who has never broken a promise has promised that he will come for his bride, that the Lord Jesus will return. Father, Lord God, I pray that you would grant me 